welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. Been led so far in a significant time of worship centered on who our God is and what he has done for us. And then our response to him has been our worship. And my desire is that as we go into the sermon portion of the service, that that progression doesn't stop because worship isn't just music that precedes a sermon. It started out when you woke up this morning to an alarm that you set the night before and you decided to leave your house and go to church and gather with the people of God. When you made that decision, you were setting aside this time to go to this place as a, a priority, and that in and of itself was an act of worship, greeting one another on the way in. And yes, singing these songs is worship. And my desire is that as we go into Joshua chapter 4, in our journey through the book of Joshua, that this morning we would continue to give thanks for what God has done for us. Last Sunday, one of our elders, Jim Rinner, gave us his story of what God has done in his life, saving him. And he took us through Joshua chapter three, which was a bit of a, not a bit of, it was the Red Sea moment for that generation of Israel when God parted the waters of the Jordan River so that they could go over to the other side. In Joshua chapter three, the people were given clear instructions through Joshua. They had been preparing, they'd been knowing from their leader Joshua that the Lord was about to do something great. In verse three, they're given the instruction, when you see the ark of the Lord, which represents the presence of God, follow it. In verse five, they were told, prepare yourselves because the Lord will do wonders today. And this is not to be missed in chapter three, verse five, prepare yourself for the Lord will do wonders today. What did he do? He parted the waters of the Jordan River and we will see that this happened on the 10th day of the first month when they remembered what he did during the Passover when he brought them out of Egypt. This is all connected. He told them that when the soles of the feet of the priests touched the water, that the waters would part. And then in one verse later, verse 16 of chapter 3, those mighty waters of the Jordan River that were flowing straight south towards the Dead Sea, when the feet of the priest stepped into them, the waters, the scripture says, stood up like a heap. If you've ever seen a video of an avalanche and all of that snow sliding off of a summit comes and piles up at the end, the waters flowing downstream, fulfilling the promise of the Lord, stood up, literally piled up in a heap at the very touch of the sole of the feet of the priests. And chapter three ends with the whole nation crossing over on dry ground. God is not just giving commands that are being obeyed. God is keeping 
promises and delivering his people. And so now we come to our text this morning, Joshua chapter 4, and I would like to read it for us as we continue. Joshua 4. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, Choose twelve men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them. Take twelve stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the twelve men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The 12 men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are still there today. The priest carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people. In keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priests with the ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people. The Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed to the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up from the Jordan. When the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan, and their feet stepped out onto solid ground, the water of the Jordan resumed its course, flowing over all the banks as before. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of of the Lord. Amen. We don't really have a new story. We, we have a limited number of chapters in the book of Joshua. It's not overly long. And yet we come to chapter three and we have this huge event, the parting of the Sea of Jericho. And you would expect 
chapter four is what's on the other side of Jericho. But chapter four doesn't do that. Chapter four has us turn around and go back into the Jordan River. And the point is very clear. By the time we get to the end of chapter four, we see that this is so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is strong. And that's why I've titled this message that the world will know when God's people remember. In God's desire to make his name known throughout the whole earth, he commands God's people to remember. And here's how he does it. Chapter four, verses one through two. Now that everyone is crossed, the whole nation has crossed the Jordan River, choose 12 men and have them go get 12 stones. Remember all the way back in chapter one, Joshua was leading uh, through other leaders. He had officials of the people. He had 12, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Joshua calls these men to come to him. The command in verse three is take 12 stones from where the priests are standing and bring them across. Why? What's the purpose of this? Well, a memorial is going to be set up so that someday when your kids and your grandkids see this rock pile, this pile of rocks, they'll ask you, what is this all about? And you can say, let me tell you, this is what the Lord has done for me. You see, when God was fulfilling his promise of chapter one, he said, I will give you all the land where the sole of your feet touch. And if you're like me, when you read that, you're thinking that they're stepping on land, inheriting it, maybe like stepping into the city of Jericho and God would give them Jericho, but God's not limited by what we think. Even when the sole of their foot would touch down on the surface of the Jordan River at flood stage, God would give them the Jordan River. And so when God performs this miracle, this Red Sea monumental miracle moment for the people of Israel, he doesn't just allow them to move on. He wants them to go back. And so he has 12 men go back to take 12 stones right from where the priests were standing. When did the water part, by the way? Do you remember back in chapter three? What happened first? God's people are told to enter the water. Who went in first? The priests, right? So the priest, this is the picture I get anyway. The priests step in and as soon as they step in, they step into dry land. The river's at flood stage. They step into dry land as the river is piled high like a mountain of water stopped by the hand of God. And then the picture I get is that they stay there the whole time. And the, all the nation crosses over to the western bank headed towards the promised land, the eastern limits of the city of Jericho. This is the whole point of the passage of chapter 4. God says, go back, not in general, but to the very place of deliverance where the feet of the priest rest and take stones from there. 
So 12 men come back to the place of deliverance and they each take one stone and carry it out of the river up to the western bank to the place where the people are and set it down. Now, this is significant. There are different translations. I was reading from the CSB. It almost makes it sound like uh, Joshua set up a rock pile and and then, then there was 12 stones and another rock pile. My best research in various translation comes up with a picture that I'm, I'm, I'm content with and happy for you to argue with, but I'm content with for the purposes of this morning. That Joshua, the leader, went back to the place of deliverance where the soles of the feet rested in the dry ground of the Jordan River bed. And Joshua set up 12 stones. Joshua did set up 12 stones. 12 men were encouraged, commanded, to come get these stones. Each one put a stone on his shoulder and walked out of the Jordan River, setting up a pile at Camp Gilgal. The word Gilgal means circle. Some people think maybe these stones were set up in a circular-shaped pile, a monument, so that whenever the children and grandchildren would see this rock pile, they would say, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, what happened here? Oh, be seated. This is a good one. There was a day when the Lord delivered us. And you do well to keep in mind that phrase, that, that God is not content with us just moving forward from deliverance, but God wants us to go back to the very place of deliverance and take from their memorial. Because the world will know that God is God. The world will get what the world needs when God's people start remembering. When, as Scripture says, the redeemed of the Lord begin to say so. When you begin to incorporate into your conversation what Christians for thousands of years have called testimony, when, 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 when we overcome this sort of spiritual amnesia, this taking for granted of God's massive work in our lives, and we incorporate into our language, this is what the Lord has done to me. This is important to God. And this is what's happening in going back for the 12 stones. It's not lost on us that in verse 12, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh show up all the way back from chapter 1. Moses was concerned for the unity of the people. And the writer of Joshua, um, I don't know who that is, um, was concerned that we see that God just keeps keeping his promises and that the people of Israel are following with a whole heart. Remember, those, those are the two and a half tribes that were like, ah, oh, we're good on the east side. It's pretty good over here. And, you know, our animals have space and we're kind of set up. And it's like, yeah, but you've got to go over together. So here we make special mention in verse 12 that they went on. They didn't just go on dragging their feet through that dry riverbed. They went in battle formation in front of the Israelites, as Moses had instructed them, about 40,000 equipped for war. Verses 17 and 18 of Joshua chapter 4, Joshua tells the priests who have been holding down the fort here in the dry riverbed with the mountain of water, he says, come up now onto the western bank and the priests take the presence of the Lord and the ark 
through the dry riverbed out the western bank and to the other side. And as soon as they get to the other side, I want you to hear this in your ears. The rushing flood stage Jordan River resumes its flow rate and it is loud. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? I have, and I have no clue what that would sound like. But I've been to other rivers. I love rivers. If you've ever been to the, uh, at the bottom of a waterfall and you've heard that confluence of the fall and the river downstream, that deafening sound, picture this. The priests are just steps out of the western bank and that mountain of water, boom, and downstream resuming its flow. This is the mighty deliverance of our God. The priests joined the people at Camp Gilgal, which means circle, on the eastern city limits of Jericho, a story we're headed soon to in its famous battle. Instructions are given here. On the 10th day of the first month, and this is no accident, I love the intentionality of Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because the 10th day of the first month is uh, back in Egypt. Do you remember the 10 plagues? The first nine seemed insufficient, but still God was working, showing who he was to the world. And yet on the 10th, what's remembered as the Passover, when the firstborn in all the land would die, but the blood of the lamb was posted on the doorpost and whoever would do this in faith that God is the God who delivers would be passed over by the angel of death. This preparation way back in Egypt took place in Exodus chapter 12, verses two and three. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. Exodus 12, verses two and three, the 10th day of the first month is when people prepared to be delivered by the blood of the lamb. Then they go out of Egypt and they hit the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. And then here they get to the eastern shore of the Jordan. And sure enough, the God is, as an author who uh, the staff is reading right now. I didn't make this up. This author says that the God who led his people in also leads them out. And then when they get to the Jordan River, he continues to lead them on. And this is the progression of our great God. Why does this happen? You know, some scripture is, 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 is more difficult to read than others. I'm in the book of Leviticus right now, and you kind of like search close, like what's going on here? Well, this chapter is not like that. If you have your Bible, well, look at verse 24. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. This is the purpose statement and the very ending of chapter four, that you may always fear. This is a big word. When you see the word fear in scripture, it's not the sort of fear you experience. It's not the sort of fear that you see in film or read in books. It does have elements of that though. But it also has all the elements of awe-filled worship. It's probably most akin to what those priests felt after being delivered by God on the other side of the Jordan with the Jordan River rushing at the back of their heels in like loud cacophony. That is probably the closest way we could feel the Hebrew idea of the word fear. It's reverence and awe and worship. And so we see in Joshua chapter 4, 
that God is always with his people. He has never left him, and this is represented in the ark. God continues to keep his promises even when the soles of their feet touch the Jordan River. God is uh, exalting his chosen leader. Remember, he said, Joshua, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Look at verse 14. Very specifically, we are drawn to the fact that on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And then in the end, that God spreads his fame. God is known throughout the whole world when his people remember. This is the message of Joshua chapter 4. And here's our dilemma. Because remembering comes with forgetting. If, if remembering God's deliverance and the testimony of what we remember is the means for which the world knowing God, then I am convinced that forgetting God and forgetting God's deliverance contributes to the ignorance of God and his ways in this world. And if it is by the remembrance of God's people that the world know, then God's people are culpable in the dilemma of the brokenness of the world through our forgetting of God's work in our lives. And so I want to cue you up already for the end of the message with this question. What has the Lord done for you? What has the Lord done for you? This author, Dale Davis, reminds us of this. Getting through the river isn't the end of it all. You must remember what happened there. This is so key. This is the message. This is how three and four go together. It's, it's not just getting through the river. It's remembering what happened there. He wisely continues this. Listen close. This is, this is deep stuff. And I quote, just as in marriage, the real threat may not be infidelity, but simply a slow process of forgetting and a gradual failure to remember the preciousness of the other person. You get that? This isn't a minimization of infidelity at all. This is saying that there might be actually be a precursor to it. The forgetting, the not remembering. This dilemma of forgetting is massively important. I, and I apologize. I didn't realize this piece of the sermon till this morning before I left my house. And so I have screenshots of my quick search in the Bible. What does the Bible say about forgetting? And here are my top results. In Deuteronomy, the people are told, you ignored the rock, capital R, who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you in, the, in Judges Things weren't going well because the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Why? They forgot the Lord, their God. First Samuel, but they forgot the Lord, their God. Isaiah 51, you have forgotten the Lord, your maker. Jeremiah 2, can a young woman forget her jewelry? Or a bride forget her wedding clothes on her wedding day? Yet my people have forgotten me for countless days, says the Lord. Harvest Community Church, I am calling us this morning away from a pattern of forgetfulness 
and I am calling us to remembrance. Almost every scholar I read on this passage pointed out a similar thing. So I give the sum of their feedback credit here that miracles aren't often repeated. Otherwise, they wouldn't be miracles, right? If, if It's the old logic. If everything's a miracle, nothing is. So like miracles may be a place in time. But while they may be limited in their frequency, remembrance that gives way to testimony is endless. And remembrance that gives testimony to what the Lord has done is the stuff distinctly of heaven. This is the Christian posture. You see, while Israel set up stones to remember God's saving work under the leadership of exalted Joshua, there would be another exalted leader. Just as Joshua was the exalted leader and the new Moses to Israel, so Christ is the exalted leader over the church. And all of this happens in the Jordan River, in, Jor- in the Jordan River in chapters three and chapter four, a place I was, I actually have a plane ticket to go see next month, but for obvious reasons is delayed. But think about this place, this Jordan River was the place God parted, piled up high, saving his people, but it is the place centuries later where a prophet would be living in the wilderness on its banks saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And one day while John the Baptist was baptizing people in that same region, he would see our Savior, Jesus Christ, coming. And when he saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Remember Exodus 12? Behold, the Passover Lamb that will take away the sins of the whole world. And then Jesus, in his sweet humility, made John baptize him there in that Jordan River. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, because of all this, God highly exalted him. Remember? Joshua 4.14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. Philippians 2 verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And while miracles are limited in our lives and in history, remembrance is endless. Remembrance that gives way to testimony is the distinct stuff of heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a priest. Well, just pause right there. Remember Joshua 4, 24. This is so that all the peoples of the earth would know that the Lord's hand is strong and that they would fear him. Revelation 5, 9, 
from every tribe and language and people and nation. I'm calling us this morning back from forgetfulness and I'm calling us to remembrance and I'm asking you the question, what has the Lord done for you? As believers, we remember and celebrate through believers' baptism. We gather around the Lord's table and repeat and remember the Lord's deliverance. And we tell through our testimonies to one another the great things that the Lord has done for us. For thousands of years, before Christian, distinctly Christian history 2,000 years ago, Jewish history had a rich tradition of not forgetting the Lord and remembering and recounting his works. And yet in 2023, we have been lulled to sleep into a sea of forgetfulness. So this morning as we approach the Lord's table, I ask that the cracker and the juice would serve as our rock pile. I remember when each one of my four boys asked if they could take communion elements. Each one in a different one of the three churches that I've served. And when they ask if they can partake of it, it evokes the, some question from us as parents as like, well, what does it mean? You see the cracker and the juice is like a rock pile remembering our salvation If being saved and delivered is like our wedding day, then partaking of communion is like celebrating an anniversary. This is why ideally communion would happen in a church weekly, and we perhaps might move to that. We are a people of many stories, Harvest. But I fear that we have fallen into forgetfulness and allowed ourselves, I'm speaking to myself here, to be defined by our worst stories and the worst parts of our stories. We've allowed ourselves to be defined by what people have done to us and not by who our God is for us. This morning, I want to call you back from forgetfulness to remembrance If you're honest with yourself, has it been a long time since you have spoken words similar to, this is what the Lord has done for me? Let me put it this way. Some of you, if you've been watching media all weekend, you may feel a pressure. The pressure is mounting to come into work tomorrow in the the world of opinions. We have global wars abroad and civil wars at home. We've been asked to be experts in stuff we have no ability to be experts in. Let me apply it in this way. Your coworkers tomorrow don't need you to come in and save them through your highly nuanced view of the history of Hamas in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's likely not going to have a big impact on them. It likely will evoke a lot of conflict. You know what would be like cool water in the desert tomorrow? Find an opportunity in your own words to say, can I tell you what the Lord has done for me? And that same God, I think he can do that for you. Let me take you back right to where the soles of the feet were in the river. This is where I was at my lowest. And this is what the Lord did for me. 
And I think that God can do that for you. I ask you, Harvest Community Church, what has the Lord done for you? Because there is a river greater than the Jordan River. There is something that stands higher than the pile of 12 stones. There is a fountain that flowed from our sweet Savior's side. And there is a cross that stands declaring that you and I are forgiven. I ask you, Harvest, what has the Lord done for you? There is no more proper way that we could respond to this sermon this morning than in two ways. Hearing from one another the answer to that question, what has the Lord done? And going to the Lord's table and remembering in the way Jesus instructed us to remember. As I was concluding this sermon this week, I wanted to know what the Lord is doing at harvest. I thought of a group of people and I text them, what has the Lord done for you? And would you consider telling harvest that? And by yesterday, I was text back four different videos and they have given permission to share them with you. And so as we move towards communion, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. Ushers, this will feel a little different. You're going to distribute the elements, take your time. We're a little low on gluten-free. There's a cup in the middle of gluten-free elements that are extra if we run out. There's a cup in the middle. Take them and hold them. Engage with your brothers and sisters about what God's been doing in their lives on the screen and prepare your heart before you take the elements. We'll wait and take them together to answer that question. What has the Lord done for you? Hello, Harvest. My name is Jamie Weinhold, and I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to share with you what God's done in my life. Um, the more I look back, the more I realize that where I'm at today is not because of something I've done. It's not because of something I've earned or worked up to out of my own merit, but solely it is through God writing my story. And I think his fingerprints just become clearer and clearer, and I just want to remember them. So I think it first started when God took two broken people and called them to himself. And these two people happened to be my parents. Um, I was the age of two when they gave their lives to God, and this changed the entire trajectory of my whole family. They grew up not knowing right from wrong. They didn't know what would happen when they died. They didn't have surety of where they'd end up or who they were living for. Yet me and my five siblings were blessed enough to have known Jesus from the youngest of age and just known his gift and what he does and the confidence that we can have in him that nothing we could ever do is enough. Yet God sent his son to die for us and to make right our sins and that nothing we could ever do could separate us from this love he has for us. And it is just such a gift to know this from such a young age. And I'm just blessed that God did that for me and my whole family. Yet at the same time, I fell down a path of sin later in life at the end of high school. I started to question if God was who he said he is because I had so much pride that I started to view other sins as worse than my own, and I grew bitter and angry. I was angry that God could say that um, 
broken people could say that they were following God yet still hurt me. I was angry when my parents' relationship wasn't perfect. And I was angry when my siblings weren't following God yet they said they were. Or people were just not living up to what God had called them. Yet at the same time, I didn't see my own sin. I didn't see the pride in my heart or the fact that those were lies, that I was doing something better than the rest of them. And I was really humbled once I entered college and started to learn more through reading God's word. I feel like God really did a work in me and changed how I thought about life and gave me a forgiveness towards others and love that's forbearing and just ultimately gave me patience. This is such a gift and I'm really grateful for exactly what he's done and the ways that he's worked this into me and allowed me to love Christians even though they might hurt me and to love my family for who they are, not for what they're failing to be. And I'm just so grateful for how God's worked in my life and hope this brings you some encouragement. Thanks. Hi guys, my name is Pritam Kumar. Um, hope you guys are having a great Sunday. So a lot of you guys don't know that um, I was actually born in India and I came to the U.S. Um, when I was six years old. I still have a lot of memories from my childhood there. And one of the main things I remember is growing up in a Hindu home. And this has always left me with many questions when I was growing up. And it always made me feel sort of empty inside because I had always been praying to these figures and these statues almost. And I almost felt like why and what was the reason behind it but i just kind of kept going with it and this almost made me question really hard things and when i did have these sort of questions i never really got clear answers except that i was doing great and i was doing a good job and don't think about these things because um god doesn't want you to so this had always left me with lots of anxiety and i always question am i doing enough to please god am i doing enough to fit these um, checklists and am I doing the things that I need to do which to me at the time I did not feel like this at all and it wasn't until I came to US that I realized that I'm a broken individual and there, I'm not perfect at all and I don't know if this would ever be enough to please him so it wasn't within the last two years that I always had this question as to why am I here why did I come to the US why did God choose me and I feel like me having this connection and just, just these kinds of thoughts, God put um, very, very important people into my life within these past two years and really helped show me the importance of Him and made me answer these hard questions such as salvation and um, what has God done for us. And the main thing was they also showed me that Jesus did it for us. Jesus was the one that came and He died and He rose for us. And that to me, just the story was so pure and it helped me realize that that God was almost calling me in a sort of way with these individuals to come into my life and to show me these things. And I am just so thankful and grateful for that. And um, God worked in me to put away a lot of fear and anxiety that I had growing up and all these um, connections that I did not understand. And these questions that I had, God really was the one that showed me that um, I can have hope in my future and complete confidence because I can do it through him. I can do it through um, scripture and which is just so clear and well put to me so this had really caused me to indulge in it and just be very faithful in him the one true lord and it just made me comfortable to pray certain ways because i knew i was praying to the one true god and i'm in complete peace with that 
So thank you guys and hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Hello, Harvest. I'm Jan Hall. I've been attending Harvest for four and a half years. Caleb asked me to tell how God has been involved in my, my life. My story is pretty ordinary in that, like all people, I've experienced the ups and downs of life, the inconveniences, the hardships, the toxicities, my bad choices, the joys, my good choices, and God's blessings. I know that he's been present every day, but I haven't shared my faith with others or told how God is working in my life. I believe that God is calling me and probably all of us to do more of that. In June, I went on my first ever international missions trip. Um, I kind of thought that I would make a difference in the lives of the people that I would go there to serve. I was willing, I was, wanted to be helpful. But I soon, soon learned that I went on that trip so that God could teach me. Those missionaries each serve on a main ministry team and they help in the others. They openly love on each other and they happy, happily and selflessly serve each other in their community. They showed ultimate hospitality to me and the whole team. I came back to Harvest with a renewed interest in showing hospitality and that kind of love to others. I want to emulate the hospitality that I was shown. I want to encourage people by connecting and supporting each other. The way I most comfortably do that is through visiting and food, simple food. In Romans, it says, take care of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. And Romans also says, love others as much as you love yourself. Titus says, be friendly to strangers and enjoy doing good things. 1 Peter 4.10 says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. I want to follow through on what God has taught me recently about loving others and telling them about how God has worked in my life in order to make him famous. I'll put the soup on. The Lord is, uh, God sent his son to save me. He has, um, oh, so many things. Where should I start? He, uh, as I was a heroin addict, he took the needle out of my arm and the filth out of my mouth. And he gave me the only thing I needed, his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, also, I had seizures when I was younger, and the doctors were able to cut my skull open, take a little piece of my brain out, and I've been seizure-free ever since. And, you know, you, you look back on your life, that's when you see all this stuff. And one night, I woke up in an ambulance after getting jumped by about three or four guys with eight teeth gone. And wow, God saved me. So he could save me for eternity because I wasn't saved. 
Yep, uh, God's been a big part of my life for a long time.